This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Bring out your date. Bring out your date. Here's one. I'm not dead. What? Nothing. Here's your nine puts. I'm not dead. Yeah. He says he's not dead. Yes, he is. I'm not he isn't. Well, he will be soon. He's very ill. I'm getting better. No, you're not. You'll be stone dead in a moment. Oh, I can't take him like that. It's against regulations. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. <laughs> Joe's mom's neighbor, Duncan. Bad news, people. The furnace is out in the basement. Yeah, great idea moving to Michigan, Joe. Pod like true professionals. That's not going to stop us because on today's show, we're going to help you grab control of your health care options. Visiting today, we welcome the author of Healthcare is Making Me Sick, Scott Heiser. Plus, think you've got it bad? One video gamer just lost nearly $1.3 million. We'll explain how and save time to throw out the Haven Lifeline, yep, and still cover my incredible trivia. And now, two guys who aren't cold at all because they either have ice in their veins or a space heater under the table. Hey, you stole that from me. Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-G. If it were option number two, I wouldn't tell anybody. We do have ice in our veins. We're ready, OG. We're back. It's Monday. We had that long holiday weekend. Rested. It's time. You ready to talk money? I'm ready to talk about leftover pumpkin pie, but Mm. I suppose that at any point in time, I can also be ready to talk about money. Leftover turkey, leftover pumpkin pie. I got to say this. Screw you, Metro. No more diet for me. I don't, I don't need your judgment. <laughs> I, I don't need you looking at me funny every time I'm scarfing down food that I'm not supposed to be having. No. Turkey's I, okay to eat. Well, and it actually went it actually went well. I know. We don't want to t- turn this into the Joe's Diet podcast, but it was pretty fun. What we will talk about is today's podcast is all about new skills. And because of that, today's show is brought to you by Skillshare, offering Stacking Benjamin's listeners two months unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com forward slash SB. Good time of the year to be sharpening the saw to get ready for 2020. It's going to be great. Hey, we've got a great show today. Healthcare. We're going to talk about saving money on healthcare. And I bet we'll say three letters. H-S-A. Maybe. Let's see if we will. But first, we got headlines. Hello, darlings. And now, it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Investment News. Some small news last week in the investment community, OG. This uh, guy named Chuck decided to buy this place called TD Ameritrade. Don't know if you saw that. Caught it, yeah. This is reported originally by Bloomberg. Charles Schwab to buy TD Ameritrade. (laughs) Charles Schwab Corporation announced it agreed to buy TD Ameritrade Holding Corps in a multi-billion dollar deal that will reshape the retail brokerage business. Schwab will acquire TD Ameritrade in an all-stock transaction. The company say is valued at $26 billion or about $48.50 per share, a 19% premium based on the last Wednesday share price. TD Ameritrade stockholders will receive 1.0837 Schwab shares for each TD Ameritrade share. 
Last Monday's announcement of the deal came after news of the acquisition broke the Thursday before sending up shares of both firms. Schwab, America's original discount broker, will now have even more sway over the sector it pioneered nearly a half century ago. How about that? Big, big changes going on. If the antitrust people don't have a thing to do about it, but yeah. Yeah, these are these are two monster firms. Just absolutely Well, monsters. in the grand scheme of things, TD is actually the smallest of the bunch, but yeah, it still is a uh, pretty big deal. There was a lot going around the other week about this, about how how strategic was this transaction from Schwab's perspective. Of course, at the beginning of October is when they dropped the bomb of Low fees. no more commissions. Yes. Done. I, and then everybody matched them. They had the least out of the three big ones, they were the people that had the least amount of revenue tied to commissions. TD was the company that had the most amount of their revenue tied to commissions. So TD's share price tanked. And then here comes TD, or Schwab going, oh, anyway, cool. So um, yeah, we'll just buy you now. There were reports about this this very thing, though. Maybe it was to answer these rumors because people came out, spokespeople came out and said that this deal was in the making well before any of that fee stuff was announced. It makes it even more poignant. It's like, I don't know, Bill, do you want to pay $37 billion for this? I think we can get it for a third off. Now, I don't know how you do that. Yeah, I do. Watch this. It let's, is a- tank, let's tank a whole bunch of their revenue. It is interesting now to see that uh, TD was the first one to counter, right? Remember that? But why would they do that? The other side of it is, is that if you have, they don't have a monopoly on it by any stretch of the imagination, but if they had, if they had a controlling interest in a whole bunch of it, why would you blow up your own revenue stream? You don't have that. You have one less person to compete with. You know what I mean? Like you could just leave commissions at whatever they were at six bucks a trade or five bucks a trade, whatever they were. But don't be you like, see, cool, we'll just make it times this number. Yeah, yeah, but don't you think you see the writing on the wall anyway that the share price is going the wrong way no matter what? Because if you don't match them, share price is still going down. You know, I'm talking about if Schwab knew in advance that they were trying to buy TD. I get that. Why would they nuke their own revenue stream? Oh, yeah. Except, yeah. except I mean, basically they're going, hey, we're buying this company. We want to into the future. And they make X dollars from this from type trades. of business. Yes. So here, I have an idea. Let's get rid of all of that revenue. But maybe the, the valuation paid off. Who knows? Our view is that this is a great deal for the consumer. Schwab CEO Walt Bettinger said in a conference call with analysts, we've been doing nothing but driving down costs for decades. True. Interesting to see what happened. Mr. Bettinger downplayed the potential antitrust risks of the combination. We have numerous competitors, many of which are far larger than us today and far larger than a combined organization, he said on the call. They're going to continue to come right after us as they are now in all aspects of the business. Hello, Vanguard and Fidelity. (laughs) Is that who they're talking to? Yeah. I'm looking at you. The only thing that they have an issue with, I think, in some level is the is the professional advisor space because Schwab is already the largest and now they'll be quite a bit larger than the number two, which is Fidelity. So financialplanning.com to your point said this move is bad for advisors because it's less choice and less competition in the advisor arena. Here's what's I think great about it is if they actually do it the right way. So when companies merge or companies acquire other companies, what's the whole goal of that? Take the really good stuff from one place, transfer it to the other place, take the really bad stuff from both places, get rid of it all together. And for my money, being an advisor and seeing the advisor tech on both sides of the equation, the ease of operations on both sides of the equation, and the client-facing view on both sides of the equation... In a perfect world for me, I'd love to have the TD Ameritrade Advisor Tech combined with the Schwab uh, client client portal because it looks way better than the TD side. And the ease of operations back office support that TD has, which I think is fantastic. So if they can keep all that. And, and then marry that with their front stage, which is what, you know, clients see when they log into Schwab.com. I think that becomes a winner. We're not seeing this close, I would think, probably for, what, nine months? I think I read uh, second quarter of 2020, yeah. Which is a good point because then the question is like, so how does this affect me? I've got money at Schwab. I've got money at TD. I've got money at Fidelity. Like, what does this mean for me? And the real answer is, doesn't mean anything for you. You know, the if, if you have money at Schwab or TD, you just kind of keep on keeping on. 
Um, there'll be some kind of account conversion that happens down the line, and there'll be plenty of communication about that leading into that and up to that. So nothing is the correct answer. So more to come, but not with your money about maybe the way you look at your money, maybe even the way you log on to your money. Yeah, I mean, and no matter what happens, you're going to have the same sure. same stuff. So yeah. nothing to worry about. Nothing to see here, folks. Move along, move along. No rubberneckers. <laughs> but there's still a lot to see. That, that was a big move. I remember seeing that and going, whoa, hello. Yeah. Hello. That uh, that that was big stuff. Uh, speaking of big stuff, how about this one? This comes to us from Mashable. A gamer spent, well, you know, I'm not going to read the title. I'm going to tell you what happened, the story. You know that saying, gaming is life? For this gamer, it's more than that. <laughs> I don't know that saying, but okay. Gaming is life? No, that's not. Yeah. You don't live by that? You don't live by the creed? Gaming is life? My kids have a, a poster upstairs that says XP is life. So, well, there it is in some way, shape, or form. Chinese gamer Lu Mao spent a whopping $1.3 million developing his Justice Online character, and now he's pissed. His friend had stupidly, and stupidly is X'd out, accidentally sold his character for US $643. According to Chinese tech news site Abacus, Mao's friend, Lee Musheng. Lee Musheng just got thrown under the bus here in this piece. They completely out him. My friend Lee Yeah, Musheng, that's a common name over in China, though. So it's just like John Smith. They'll never find which one it is. Musheng, Smith, same stuff. Had made a mistake by listing the character on the in-game marketplace NetEase after suffering from dizziness due to excessive gaming. <laughs> I only had 16 Red Bulls and four bags of Doritos. You remember that guy a few years ago? That was in China too, wasn't it? It was in China or Korea yeah. where that gamer died. He died because he was playing too much video Played games. Played too many video games, didn't eat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or sleep. Excessive dizziness or, or dizziness due to excessive gaming. That just That's a world I don't know. Like I like <laughs> video games once in a while. I've never went, I got to get up because <laughs> I've got excessive dizziness from too many gamings. Have you ever dreamt about video games? Have you ever played so much that you like dream about like the orbs from Crackdown? No, but I will say this. After that board game convention last week, after the second day, every night while I was at the convention, I dreamed I was learning rules to games. Like all night long, I was learning. I was sitting through somebody explaining to me People rules. are explaining rules. You're like, I don't understand. Slow down. That's totally it. I don't, I don't get this. I do what with my people? For those who are in the dark, Justice Online is a popular, massively multiplayer online role-playing game based on Wen Ruan's novel, The Four Great Constables. In the game, players can choose characters from up to six classes and can battle against other players and non-playable characters, go on missions, and even run a business. Mao's so enraged, he's hauled his friend to court for his stupidity, slashed out, mistake. The judge at the Hungaya County Court of Shizuan Province... Shezwan. Mm. I make really good chicken. Ruled that the buyer must return the character to Mu with Musheng paying $12,781 in damages to the player who purchased the character. Wow. Dude's getting his character back. Okay. I think everyone in this story is the bad guy, so I'm trying to find where the good guy is. I know. Would, would that happen in a U.S. court? Uh, giving back his Dungeons & Dragons character? <laughs> The 1.2 million? I don't know. But I guess the takeaway from this piece, uh, really no takeaway from the Charles Schwab TD Ameritrade piece. So I think the the lesson here, OG, is uh, if your friend gives you his character to sell, don't do it when you're excessively dizzy from playing video games. Or the other lesson might be don't leave your $1.2 million character in a place where Lou Machane can find it because that guy, trouble. Scott Heiser, Upstairs Talking to Mom. This guy spent two decades as a healthcare leader looking for solutions for his clients, uh, businesses he worked with in the healthcare space. He looked at pricing. He looked at plan design, negotiation, vendor reviews, everything in between. I'm sure he's going to have stories about that. So he used to be an insider. Now he wants to share that knowledge of people. Why? Because I don't know if you've known this, OG, the price of healthcare has gone up slightly. 
Just a skosh. Yes. One thing we don't do on this show, and um, I might have to remind people a few times of this, we're not going to talk about the politics of healthcare, so don't tune it out. We're going to talk about what to do with the rules the way they are now, which is, I think, a conversation we need to have. So here to help us all get a handle on and get a better cost of healthcare, it's our new friend, Scott Heiser. And coming down the stairs to the basement, the man who's going to finally, finally help us understand a little bit about our health care. It's our new friend, Scott Heiser. Have a seat, man. How are you? Great, Joe. Thanks for having me on. It's a big challenge, but we'll, <laughs> we'll give it a whirl. <laughs> it is. Well, and truly, let's do this. Before we get the hate mail from everybody, because I'm sure you know better than anybody, Scott, this becomes a politically charged argument. People begin talking about health care, and immediately they don't hear health care, they hear politics. So here's what we're not going to do, guys, so you can save your email. Scott and I are not going to have a discussion about the way that we wish things were or the way we hope things could be, or if all the stars align and the world is the way we want it, that it will be. We're going to talk about the system the way it is and how to become a bigger consumer. And actually, Scott, that's why I like talking to you is because my understanding is that was your job with companies, right? Was helping them lower their cost. And now you're trying to do that same thing with individuals. Am I right? Exactly. Yeah. I spent about 25 years doing that and helped build a consulting practice that spanned 15 states and uh, managed employee benefits for corporations of various sizes up to 16,000 employees. So we get very involved in strategic decisions and, and direction for them, how they could manage the program for their employees and for themselves. Well, and I think you do make a good point, even though we're, you know, we're not going to talk about the political stuff, but you do say that we can lower the cost, but we do it by becoming a better consumer. Explain that to me. I classified it in the book as a third party system that we have. So we have insurers, uh, providers, hospitals, doctors, and we've got the government uh, involved intensely in one sixth of the economy, which is the healthcare, and seeing how to manage it to their best interest. And there's nothing wrong with it. They have their own objectives and they have every right to have an objective to do it. The people missing at the table are you and I. So our objectives are not positioned in that. And here's the bottom line. You know who pays for it is you and I. We pay it through FICA taxes, our taxes that we pay on our payrolls. We pay it through our premiums. So we, we end up paying for the health care. And we're not at the table expressing our views. And so you've got a disconnected environment. So when we go in to buy services, we're not paying for it. Somebody else is paying for those services. We don't even know what the costs are 99% of the time, which is changing. We'll get into that. So if we don't know what the costs are, we're not paying for it. And somebody else is paying for it. What's going what's to happen to those costs? Keep I like going. it to what's happening in the college campuses now with the, the guaranteed load programs. What's happened to the co- the tuition costs? You've got buildings going up all over campuses. You've got professors making more money. You've got their sports programs making more money because they get guaranteed loans, non-refundable guaranteed loans from the government that the kids are on the hook for. Same thing with healthcare. You can't have a disconnected consumer. So my whole point was we have to become proactive and not passive participants in our healthcare. And, we, and my goal is to empower people to become consumers like you consume everything else of healthcare, enhancing your outcomes while reducing costs. Well, it's funny you talk about that a little bit. You say we should shop for healthcare the same way we, we shop for razors. Like I have always had a fine razor, but lately we can get one cheaper and you point out the reason for that. Right. So there's an example of Gillette came out with it awesome system. And I, I'm going to get it wrong. It's called five years ago. It's a great system. They enhance shaves and they were very, very expensive. So expensive that the marketplace, because this is a consumer good made by a consumer good giant, where there's a lot of consumers buying razors, started looking for alternatives because it was so expensive, even though it was a superior product. And boom, up pops some competitors, Dollar Shave Club. And they come up for a dollar a shave with a Similar, maybe not exactly the same level of shave, but a comparable shave. And the amazing thing with that is people started grabbing to it, and the manufacturer of the Gillette looked at it and said, ooh, we've got a competitive situation here. They actually lowered their cost as a response of it to regain market share because they had lost market share. That's the way things work. Television sets. Here's another one. I was a one of the first consumers of a flat screen. It was a plasma screen. I, I won't you tell paid, you. It was I was going to say, you paid $67 billion for that thing, Scott. And that's a good way to put what the cost was. Yeah. And it was 42 inches. Okay. (laughs) 
for what I paid for a 42 inch now, you could put half side of a stadium on <laughs> with, with a television screen because people looked at it. People got on the market and it, the prices came down. That's not happening in healthcare. And there's going to be some pundits that will argue why it's not and you can't change those. I think one of the primary reasons is we don't know what the costs are and we've become passive about it. Well, I love that analogy. And it totally made me think, you're right. I've been in financial planning for three decades and I know the difference between different healthcare options, but, but your cost comparison, comparing which places in town will, you know, how they charge. I don't know that. And as you explain in your book, it's much easier than we think to get that information, but you have a list that you work from. And even though we're not going to get to everything, I want to give people kind of a place to start on each of these, if you don't mind. So let's start off with this is that you say the place to start is by understanding your current health status and your family health history. I'm assuming then, Scott, because that's going to drive where you look for your health insurance and where you don't. Exactly. So, and let me preface this by saying there's health insurance okay. and there's health care. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those are two distinct things and we conflate them all the time. So health care is what you do to take care of yourself using providers, doctors, hospitals, and everything else, how you maintain your health. Health insurance is a way to pay for health care. They're not the same. And we make that mistake all the time. So then, then to address your question, I treat it like you probably treat with all your viewers with a simple business or investment decision. Okay, you have to establish your own objectives first before you go to the marketplace. See, we, st we stay with the TV analogy again. I got to know what size wall I have, what kind of hookups I have, how many stations I want to watch, what resolution, before I ever go start looking for a TV. And once I know my objectives, then I can sort through the options much more effectively. So what we need to do with either health care and or health insurance is find out who what our health profile is. You got to do that first. And to get a health profile, you might want to – a lot of businesses will offer health risk assessments. There are some free ones through hospitals that you can get. You take that. It asks questions about you. You do some biometric work, which is blood work, blood pressure, things like that will tell you about it. That'll give you an idea. They do some predictive modeling on that to say what you may or may not have and what, or what your health status looks like. Then you go back and you get your family history. Okay, do I have cancer in my family? Do I have diabetes in my family? So on and so forth. And then you go look and say, what did I spend last year? Do I think I'm going to spend that again? Because then you have a platform of who you are right now, what you're spending right now, what you might spend, and who, what you may spend or what you may have down the road. Now you can, you're prepared to address either your health care or health insurance. It's funny that you put it this way, because when we talk about choosing investments, we talk about it very similarly, Scott. Like the whole world of investing is very difficult if you're trying to know everything about everything. But if you start off with you and what you need yourself, you take this huge wide field and you narrow it. And now I can become an expert at the few things I need to know about versus trying to know everything. I'm, it sounds like you're speaking that same language. You couldn't have said it better. That, that is the essence. And so what we need to do is connect people with things they do on an everyday basis in other aspects of their life and apply those principles here. Because then the crazy Greek world or the alphabet, you know, every, there's an acronym for everything in insurance. It's worse than the government. It, it, it'll drive you crazy. Then you can start to dissect it and get what you need. Information's power. And when you get the information, because you've set your objectives, you know what information to go for. You have that. Now you gain more control over what you're doing. And we may not cut your costs in half, but you may know at the end of the day that you've picked something that's appropriate for you. So the dollars you're spending are being spent wisely. Next up, you talk about understanding your conditions or potential condition costs. I think we kind of touched on that with your explanation well, there. If I, if I can segue a little bit on it. Yeah, sure. we did. Yeah. So you know you're going to have, let's say you're and not diabetes. You've got, you've got some condition that's going to continue on the next year, but it's not a chronic. Okay. So what you can do now is with the, the budding transparency uh, world coming out on healthcare, you can look up what that costs. Instead of saying, oh, I got diabetes and I might have a heart condition and everything else, I still have no idea what it costs. You can now look that up. And you can get an idea of what you might spend. It won't be perfect because you might be with an insurance company that gets discounts. You know, there's different, different areas that have different costs, but you'll have an idea because now you've defined what I may have and what it actually costs. So then you can look at your financial resources and say, what can I pay for? What, what can I not pay for? What insurance plans are appropriate given what I'm going to spend and how much I have to spend? We talked to, to a fintech founder uh, maybe a year ago on the show where they were putting together 
they have an app. I'm not going to get the name of it right now. They have an app where you could look at doctors and which procedures they do the most often, uh, how much they charge. Are you seeing a lot of these types of companies coming out now that there's so much transparency? The answer, quick answer is yes. You've got, you all know them, Amazon, Google, Apple, all over this because we're talking one-sixth of the economy. We're talking trillion dollars. So everybody wants in on this. And what's actually encouraging is to get non Lifetime people like me getting involved and looking at it and finding other ways to, to get new information out. There are definitely a number of companies. None of them are perfect yet. Maybe they're not doing all of the country. That they haven't built their databases to get everywhere with the information they have. So you might have to go to a couple different sources. But what I encourage people is to use them, try them, keep keep looking at different ones until you get what you need. But it's out there. And the other, the other reason I encourage people to use them, because if we don't, they'll go away. they go away, Right. Yeah. So we, we need to use and we need to start and this this just ties together so perfectly because the environment is so perfect right now. ACA comes in, premiums go up, deductibles go up for everybody. So now there's a pain point that now you've got budding transparency out there that we can actually find out what it costs. You've got the proliferation of handheld devices and people's acceptance of those. So you put that all together and there's a perfect storm to saying we can actually make changes in the way it's happening. And some of the greatest support that you can have with that is Bezos, Buffett, and Diamond. They're out trying to create a separate company that will do this and bring down the cost of healthcare. So you're not alone. You got some heavyweight hitters coming in to support you. That's exciting. And actually, I'm going to see if I can find this because this is driving me crazy. We talked to... This is FinTech that you were talking yeah, to? Yeah. Yeah. It starts with an A. It's like Amina or something like that. Oh, Amino. I know them. I know them. Very well. Yes. So disappointing about thing about Amino, and they're in my book, actually, and I, I should make a caveat on this, is they used to offer free. So individuals could go get up and get a scared black version of their services, but you could get their, their services, and it was awesome. It's out of San Francisco. Yeah, I loved they, it. Uh, tell you the volume of the doc that was doing it, where they're located, what their procedures are. Yes. And, and by having the volume, which you, here's the thing with the doctrines question, you, you, I'm going to jump ahead to one you're going to ask, I think, is... How do you pick doctors and everything else, especially specialists? It's about volume. You want to go to the person that's doing a thousand versus two, because if they practiced a thousand times, they're probably going to do it better than if they've done it twice. So Amino did that. Yeah, we had them on in 2016, and I haven't okay. talked to them since. It was David, uh, somebody, yep. the, the the super guy, absolutely yeah. super guy. And it was fun looking up uh, just people in my hometown. Back then, I was right. living in a little town in Texas, and it was amazing. That's interesting. We know the same people. Um, understanding your financial resources, I think, is important. You know, Scott, in the financial world right now, the hottest thing, and as people at Morningstar have said, the most underused thing is an HSA. But I would guess that if your financial resources aren't right, an HSA plan is not going to be phenomenal for you. Uh, so let's take two steps back on that. Sure. You know what your costs are. You know what you can afford. Now you're going you're to look at all these plans. What you want to do is do the math on any one of those. And that is laborious and not sexy. And people sometimes are afraid of math, but do the math. Look at your actual total cost at the end of a year. So with an HSA or any high deductible plan, you're thinking, oh, I've got to pay all this money up front. What's going to, you know, I don't have the money. Where's it going to come from? How am I going to do it? But if you look at the premium cost, they're going to be substantially lower than a, a low deductible plan. So you want to look at if I've done my assessment and I know I'm going to have $15,000 of claims in the next year and I know my plan pays out 100% after 10,000, I could let me take a $6,000 deductible. I could end up with a better cost and then I got to figure out how to come up with the 6,000 bucks. I got you. And there's a number of ways we talk about that. And then to get your HSA, here's the other thing. Why give Uncle Sam any more money than you need to? They're giving you a pre-tax basis. So on a pre-tax basis, you can put into the HSA. The money can stay in the account. It's yours forever, just like a 401k. It can earn at a tax-deferred basis earnings on it. And you can use that for retirement healthcare costs that most people forget about. Here's a quick one. Most average people spend $120,000, $150,000 out of pocket after 65 on healthcare. And I don't know how many financial advisors talk about that. There's a lot of them that miss that. So it could be a cool way to do that. So my point would be, don't be afraid of high deductibles. Um, do the math and figure out. And, and a quick note, if you, if you know you've got tons of claims, you probably want to go to a high deductible and use an HSA. If you have zero claims, you probably want to go to a high deductible HSA because you're not going to have any claims. 
Oh, sure. It's the guys, it's the guys in the middle, like all of life, that have to do the math and figure out which one's going to pay out better. <laughs> but it's funny you say that because I didn't think about that before. A, a big part of it's going to be cost transfer. I'm either paying it out of pocket toward the claim or Bingo. I'm paying it to my insurance company every month. There's this transfer. Like when my kids went to college, I didn't realize how much cost transfer I was going to have between my son was eating me out of house and home. <laughs> and when he went to college, all of a sudden that went away. It was amazing. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. So let's talk about insurance, getting further into that. This is how we misuse our health insurance and health and on, on health care. Insurance is to pay for catastrophic, unknown, unplanned events. Those are basic definitions. And it's a transfer of risk, as you were just saying. So if you know you're going to have certain amount of costs and you know you can afford them one way or the other, why are you paying an insurance company to cover that? Because the insurance company is going to take the cost of that service put on their administrative services, put on what they call margin, which is a fudge factor in case they guessed wrong. So it gives them a little cushion and then they're going to put profit. So all of a sudden you're just adding 15 to 20 points to something you could have paid yourself. That was another question I had is that it also seems, Scott, like uh, hospitals and some healthcare institutions have two sets of costs. They have cost if a uh, if an insurance company is involved, there's another set of costs if you just pay it out of pocket. Have you found that asking what the out-of-pocket cost is makes sense over just running it through your insurance? Uh, two levels of questions there. What we need to start getting conditioned to do is, and we, let's stay in a hospital. If you're going to a hospital, I don't mean to stay in a hospital. You want to get out as quickly as you can, but <laughs> stay with the hospital analogy. Sure. Right, right. If, if you're with the hospital, you want to get an itemized bill. You got insurance coverage? I understand it. You want an itemized bill because you're the only one or people, your advocates around you are going to be the only one that really knows what the procedures were done. Insurance company really doesn't know. They're just getting the bills to them. Okay. So you should be auditing that involved in that. Did they, did you spend the same amount? You should send it to the insurance company to get the discounts they have. And then you're going to have amounts of money that you're responsible for deductibles, coinsurance and co-pays. Well, if you know what the, the total cost was and what the discounts are, then you can know what you can pay. You might want to try talking to the hospitals about payment plans or discounts or if you pay with cash. That's through an insurance company. I have an example of an employee of mine when we went, we went HSA back in 2004, early adopters. She had so it was someone that was going to have significant claims. She knew it. She went off of a low deductible plan. She had chronic issues, serious chronic issues. So she had a high deductible now. She knew she was going to have shortfalls in cash, but she was going to get lower premiums, saved a bunch of money doing that, but shortfalls of cash flow on the deductibles, went to the doctor, negotiated the doctor a, a payment plan. It gets even better. Towards the end of the year, she's found some additional money, goes back to the doctor, gets a discount off of her payment plan because she pays it up front in cash at the end. That's so awesome. So like any other business, cash is king. You'll generally get 15 points off. If you, so if you're paying on your own, you don't have an insurance plan, everybody will generally give you 15 points. The other thing I'm going to start encouraging people to do, though, is most of the carriers will get 50 points off. So why are we the SOPs? Only getting 15. Right. Then why, don't, why do we only get 15? If I can come up with cash and you don't have to deal with insurance company and all the wriggling rolls and paperwork and all that stuff, why am I not getting 50? You know what? If you're in sales, you get a, a big forehead like mine and it's thick and hard. All they can tell you no. And if they tell you no, you're no different than you were the day before. So – is you start to understand the cost structure and everything, you can ask. And you don't have to be um, obnoxious about it, but if you just get involved and, and if you tell the providers, look, this one's on me, I want to pay you, can we work something out? Most of them will work with you. I want to ask a couple of very specific questions before our time together is done. One is a lot of people talk about now medical tourism, right? We actually had somebody in our Facebook group who talked about they went across the border to Mexico for some procedures because they could get a discount there. Uh, do you see that as a good option for people living close to a border or people that are um, that maybe have significant health issues or are there things that people aren't looking at, Scott? Well, there's certainly some drugs that aren't covered in the U.S. that are covered in other places or dental, maybe insurance that's not covered that maybe going across the border makes sense. And the, the international tourism was growing quite rapidly. And, and then ACA came through and, and eliminated any pre-existing conditions and uncapped all, so everything gets paid for when you're in. So that changed a little bit. But what hasn't changed and what's burgeoning is continental tourism. So you talked about amino before. You find your, your transparency site and you can start looking up. Is my knee surgery in San Francisco the same cost as Phoenix? Oh. 
Okay. There's an example I put in the book that it's about 80 grand in San Francisco and it's about 40 in Phoenix. And that the outcomes of both of the physicians were the same. Wow. So, hey, maybe I go down to, to, to Phoenix and save 40 grand. And some employers are starting to put in their plan. They're incentivizing people to do that. They'll pay for the airfare, the travel. And here's what I would suggest if I'm an employee of an employer not doing that. If I go to town and save you 40 grand by going to Phoenix, can you modify your plans and push that upstream to say maybe employers want to do that? But then the tourism just doesn't go from state to state. It can go within the same city. You got to shop. You can go across town and get different prices. I personally had an MRI in the area I'm in that was 2,500 bucks. I drove three hours and got it for 500. Wow. So that's happening all the time. And you're still U.S. and costs are different. Pharmacy costs in the same town, same pharmacy will be different by different areas. Well, and you also talk about two different drugs, very similar. Specifically, we're talking about the purple pill here. So we've got two two different things, one vastly cheaper than the other one. Pretty much, you say in the book, do the same thing. The difference in those drugs, it's the same company. It's Prilosec and Nexium. So Prilosec runs out of its patent after 17 years, and they invent, quote unquote, Nexium, which is just a flip of some of the chemical components and re-up their patent for another 17 years. And, we'll, and that's a little oversimplification. Nexium, sure. you can take one pill instead of four pills. And they they significantly up to three times the cost for that. But they have the same outcome. They have the same efficacy. So what you have to look at is that's a convenience drug. And is it worth three times the cost? And that's where as we're consumers, we're getting duped. We're not because, the, oh, here's my health plan covers that. And I only have a $30 deductible or copay. So boom, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. That doesn't make sense to me. No. Um, and plans should address that. And you should, as a consumer, address that because I got a story of, so as I'm doing this, a friend of mine is a CFO that looks and said, what the heck are you doing? Why are you telling all these people to do it? Because once they get a hundred, you know, go to a certain spend level, they get a hundred percent covered by an insurance, just blow through that and get a hundred percent. And I said, well, what happens every once a year with you guys? And he goes, what do you mean? I go, who comes and sees you at renewal time, your health agent or broker? And what are, what do they usually give you? They give you an increase. And you know why they're giving you an increase? Because you, the CFO, the financial leader of the company, is out and saying, ah, just blow it. Once you get the 100%, take everything you got. I'll take every single claim. You're setting a really bad example for your employees. Right. And if everybody has that idea, we don't need to be PhDs to figure out why healthcare is going up. Once again, if we want the cost of razors lower, we should probably be a better shopper. Exactly. exactly. Um, I want to ask about this one because also when I look at financial blogs, a lot of people, uh, especially with the rise of the ACA, have looked into these uh, religious medical collectives, yep. right? Where, where across the top of the site, as you know, Scott, it says not actuarially sound. What do you think about those plans? You need to do your due diligence. For some people, and, and I have a someone that got on our site, looked at it and read about them, and they were faced with, I think it was sixteen hundred bucks for for two people. That was going to be an insurance cost with a with a ten thousand dollar out of pocket. And they just couldn't afford it. They were healthy, and so I said, "Why don't you look into this?" They read about the pros and cons of uh, these were called Christian plans, and there's a number of them. There's also Islamic and Jewish programs as well. They're kind of the original insurance concept. You come in, you pay a pretty low base cost for some basic services, and if they ha you have catastrophic events, they will ask you to submit a prayer request. The remaining members of the, the body then submit payments back to cover those costs. What they all claim is that those have all been paid for for the number of years, and some of these have been op operational for a decade. Pay. So you have to be careful. The first thing up front is if you have a pre-existing condition, they can exclude that for up to a year. So it's not like ACA and all the accredited programs out there. And then you have to abide by some of their basic tenets for how you live your life. So there's smoking, um, drinking excess, things like that. In the one example, the individual needed, uh, they were older, but they had um, birth control to treat a diff different condition. Well, the Christian plan didn't cover birth control. So they wouldn't cover that, that birth control drug. So you just have to have go wise, wide open. But this individual's cost went from $1,600 a month to $300. So you, if you go wide open, you go, you've done your own health profile again, know who you are, you know what they exclude, it may be worth doing. 
Yeah, well put. The book is called uh, Healthcare is Making Me Sick. Sick, of course, is in red and underlined, <laughs> as we expect, Scott. Uh, I'm assuming we can get the book everywhere, but but you also have a website that has a bunch of resources around this as well. Tell us about that. Right. So the book, the day I put the period on the last sentence, was out of date. So our mission is to empower people to become consumers. So we've created a website that continues the journey, and it's uncoveredhc.com. And you can go there, and we're continuing all the messages we have. And we have reference sites for, to help you. We have uh, tools, direction, uh, blog articles that continue it. We encourage people to go on it and say what helped them and what did we miss? Or what have you done that we missed? And we'd like to put that in. We really would like to become this center of dialogue of how we can become empowered to become consumers. And we embrace everybody that come in to to join the journey with us because we'd love to shift the paradigm and potentially control healthcare costs on our own. Yeah, you've no idea how much our producers and I fought about even covering this topic on the show because of all the political ramifications. But what I love about the conversation we just had, we didn't have a conversation about politics. We had a conversation about being a good consumer, which I think is where this conversation really needs to go. On that note, by the way, you've been nice enough that you're going to give some of our listeners some books. Right. We've got an offer for your listeners for 10 books for people that write into us to request that. And we've got a URL that can send their request in to uncoveredhc.com slash stackingbenjamins. And we will probably leave it open for uh, the next month and then uh, send the books out. That is that's so thank you for doing that, by the way. That was my pleasure. You're dead on with all these issues. And we're here to support people that are they're addressing this uh, as we see it correctly. Well, thanks for nerding out with me for a little (laughs) bit about healthcare, my friend. I appreciate it. No, my pleasure. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Oh, oh that's, that's not a good sign. Oh. Well, anyway, like a, like a true pro, I'll say welcome to my trivia. Good news, though. Uh, Scott Heiser, you know, he was babbling on and on about lowering the cost of health care. While he was doing that, I was doing what any sane person would do. I jumped over onto WebMD to solve my own health problems. I mean, who who needs a doctor, right? They're just expensive, and what do they know, really? The internet knows everything. Uh, uh, but bad bad news, though. WebMD thinks I'm at risk for a pretty serious disease, apparently. Anyway, here, here's a particularly worrisome one, and... Uh, I'll just fold it right into today's trivia. What acute contagious viral disease with fever and pustules usually... Pustules. God, that's a gross word. Pustules usually leaving permanent scars killed about 30% of the people who contracted it and uh, was declared eradicated in 1979. Wait, this says fever? Yeah, I got that. Probably about 112 degrees. Pustules? Oh, I've, I've been around the post office. Uh, eradicated? What the hell does eradicated mean? That means this thing is viral? I think I got the disease. All right, let's do this. You guess the answer. Uh, I, I'm going to go dig into this a little bit more and blow into a brown paper bag just to calm down. Well, coming off of Thanksgiving weekend, you know why we love Skillshare. 25,000 classes for free an extra couple days to go into the classes. I had a bunch of fun with another design class. The people that teach these classes, curators from the Smithsonian, teaching me about the basics of symmetry and spacing. Phenomenal way to spend a Sunday afternoon on a long weekend. So big thanks to Skillshare for supporting Stacking Benjamins. Skillshare is an online learning community for creators. There's more than 25,000 classes in design, business, and more. And you'll discover countless ways like we have to fuel your curiosity, your creativity, and your career. Take classes like I was working on this weekend in design or financial planning, basics of investing, keeping a budget, photography, creative writing, and more. So whether you're looking to discover a brand new passion, get into something, start a side hustle, get new professional skills, Skillshare is there to help you keep learning, thriving, and reaching those New Year's goals. Join the millions 
of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for stackers. Two months of Skillshare for free. That's right. Skillshare offering Stacky Benjamin's listeners two months unlimited access to over 25,000 classes for free to sign up. Here's what you do. Go to Skillshare.com slash SB. Again, Skillshare.com slash SB to start your two months now. Skillshare.com slash SB. Hey there, healthcare fans. Uh, bad news for old neighbor Doug. Think I'm going to have to hurry this trivia answer. <laughs> My time has come. The clock's ticking, you know. The alarm's about to go off. You know what I mean? I got to go write my will and make my peace with the world. But first, I got to say to that stray dog who peed on me back in 89, you're forgiven, dude. But I'll never forgive that guy who tried to get me to change my oil in the El Camino periodically. I'm still healthy enough to know that's a scam. (coughs) But before I take my last breath, let's get you to your trivia answer. The question was this, according to this thing I'm reading, what acute contagious viral disease with fever and pustules, usually leaving permanent scars, killed about 30% of the people who contracted it and uh, was declared eradicated in 1979, but is probably back in me right now. The answer? Smallpox. I don't know what it is, but I'm pretty sure that's what's causing this shortness of breath. So I got to run and tell Mike, the sizzler manager, I used an expired coupon twice because... I don't want that to keep me from getting through the pearly gates. Know what I mean? See ya. Big thanks again to Scott for stopping by. How about that, OG? If we actually start to look at the price tag, we, we might get a lower cost. I think it's really interesting that he brought that up because we just went through this with my son and his broken arm. It was not at all simple. In fact, no one that we talked to had any leap an idea what any of this would cost. And that was the hardest part because our health insurance is super expensive. We have a very high deductible. Generally, what we found out is that the I'll just pay cash option, like they prefer that, yeah. they being healthcare providers, and usually it's a little bit lower. So he broke his arm, went to an emergency pediatrician, like emergency uh, pediatric orthopedist or whatever. That doctor said, hey, it's okay. You can go to the normal office tomorrow. This is not, you know, life altering type stuff. So it was kind of a quick thing, but it still was pretty expensive. A couple hundred dollars for that visit. We got the referral from uh, my son's pediatrician to this orthopedic pediatrician. So bank that information. So then the next day, my wife called all these different places and said, how much to cast and set this broken arm? We've got the x-rays done. The doctor can send it to you. Said they'll send it to anywhere, anywhere. None of them had any idea how much it was. So we called the insurance company. Insurance company said, on average, somewhere between $2,500 and $5,000, give or take. So we're like, okay, you know, that's about as good as we're going to get. Sure. Went, went to the place we wanted to. The woman says at the front desk says, how are you paying for this? We said, uh, well, we'd like to explore paying for it in cash. She goes, well, wait a second. If you're going to pay cash, we're going to need a deposit today. My wife and I are sitting there and we said, Okay, what's the deposit? And she says, it's $200. Okay, we can do that. And she said, now listen, you have to call us within 15 days to get the cash discount. If you don't call us within 15 days, we're going to bill you the normal amount. Okay, how much is the normal amount, by the way? Oh, we don't know that. I mean, you've set a lot of arms here. This is all you guys do in various cash work. So this is the thing that you guys are known for. Surely there's some standard cost. No, no, really, it's going to depend what the doctor decides. Okay, well, we know by the time we get out of here today how much it's going to cost. No, mm-mm. no, until we bill you. Okay, but we have to know what that is before we call you to get the cash discount in 15 days. But when do we get the bill? Oh, in 30 days. Right. You see the problem. Okay, <laughs> do you have any idea how much this is going to cost? The woman says, yes, probably between two and $5,000. And that's with the cash discount, okay? That lines up with what the insurance company said. So at least we're in the ballpark. Yeah. Fast forward a couple of days. My wife calls about a week later, says, hi, we were there. And they said, sure, um, uh, pulled up here. Yeah, we've got your invoice right here. Uh, we can take care of it for you over the phone. She says, well, maybe. You know, how much is it? And she, the guy says, uh, it'll be $630. 
Oh, I'm sorry. It says here you already paid $200. it will be $430. And she said, and how many payments is that? And they said, no, that's the payment. The frustrating thing, and I agree completely with what he said. If we all comparison shopped, if we all, you know, if there was a marketplace for this where we could go, oh, this doctor's really good and he charges a reasonable fee, it'd be great. But we went through this exact same thing and not a single person along the way until the very end did we know what the price was. Part of the reason we don't know, though, I think is because of the fact that nobody ever asked the question. So doctor's offices aren't even set up that way. They're yeah, set up. Right. They're set up for the insurance agency because they know you're not going to ask the price. Because even the whole time he's talking, I've got medical professionals in my family. I can't think of a time I ever asked what the price is. Yeah. The summation of this story, the funny part was, was that we finally got a bill from the insurance company for the original visit. You know, the the original orthopedic pediatrician that we went to decided we didn't actually need to go see him, but yes. that we could go to a normal doctor yeah. uh, the next day. And that bill was for $2,500 because he was out of network and we did not get a referral. Despite the fact that we paid, you know, the money when we were there. The insurance, they still submitted it to the insurance company. And then my wife said, no, we did get a referral from our pediatrician who is in network oh. who said, this is the one to, oh, okay. Yeah. You don't have to pay it then. Like, and I just kind of wonder, you know, obviously it's a big number, $2,000. So probably a lot of people catch that, but how many people don't catch it? Like if the number would have been 150 bucks, I bet you we would have just paid it. Sure. Right. You know, right. Wow. so you got to ask a lot of questions when it comes to your health wow. and your health insurance. It is, it is so ugly. And even him being here, well, it's the tip of the iceberg, right? Have sure, guys yeah. come down and start talking about it. Hopefully we all start. I'm definitely going to start. Yeah. What's this how much is How much is this medicine for doing what again? Yes. Are you sure it's necessary? Is there a pill that's other than blue? Might cost less. We can give you the purple one, but the side effects. <laughs> might might want to watch out for that one. Hey, let's throw out David Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Hmm. The first part of December, peppermint mocha lattes. Not part of the plan. For you. That's Wait a minute. Wait, hold on a second. It's part of my plan. Do, 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 you, do you really? Have you given me crap for the past like five years about pumpkin spice latte? Like that's not okay, but the peppermint whatever latte is just fine. It's chocolate. Yes, it's perfectly fine. Everybody knows this. Is this is this news to you? You're this kidding is not me. A, this is not. You're kidding me. Life altering news. That's where the line is. That that is where we draw the line. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, it is. the peppermint Absolutely. drink. Pumpkin spice lattes are a creation from the devil. And peppermint mocha lattes are obviously things that you would have. You've even accused me in the past of that drink not being manly. And I will submit that the peppermint drink, more manly or less manly than the peppermint. Well, it depends when you, if you, do you take the lid off and when you sip it and you've got the whipped cream all around, does that, I don't know, what does that do for you? Double standard. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep going here. I'm just going to say double standard. I think in the basement Facebook group, we could settle this once and for all. And uh, we'll have Gertrude put up a poll today just to be sure. But I am pretty confident that uh, peppermint mocha lattes is going to kick the pants off of peppermint spice lattes by a factor of two and a half to one. I think I think there's a bunch of people in there just happy to help you open up the wound and pour salt in. That's exactly what it is. What you're banking on science. He's gerrymandered the poll. (laughs) <laughs> like you've seen North Carolina voting districts. Yeah, it's exactly the same thing. <laughs> that's, that's what this is. Oh, you said there's no politics in this show. There isn't. That's not politics. That's just wild. Just life. Just, yeah. yeah. That's right. <laughs> Anyways, so I don't know what else. Yeah, well. Let's just stick with that. They may buy in quality term life insurance. Actually, simple over at Haven Life. You go to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get your free quote. Applications online, simply get an instant coverage decision. And by the way, they have my favorite life insurance calculator over there. So they show it as a range. Today, we're throwing out the lifeline to John. Say hi, John. Hi, Joe and OG. Thanks for taking my call. I've got something a little different uh, to ask you about. I work at a PE back company. And though I loved phys ed as a kid, it's not really my specialty. 
they're sending around some offering documents, and I told them that I give my offerings on Sundays. They didn't laugh at either of those jokes. Uh, I'm not a principal in the company. Shoot, I'm not even in education. Uh, that being said, I feel I should put my money where my mouth is. What's a rule of thumb on a dollar amount, a percentage of net worth, or the size of the fund that I could go by to help me determine where I should try to aim for? Personally, we are debt-free, 100%. I have a decent retirement savings and personal savings. It's enough for this to even seem like a good idea. If you can point me in any type of a direction, I'd really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Thanks for the question, John. And by the way, I bet half our audience might have missed some of those jokes. PE is private equity company for people that, that miss the uh, the financial jargon the, the humor. PE joke, yeah. Yes. And offering means that they are letting uh, employees in on it. Now, there's good news and bad news about uh, private companies, which give you an offering. And maybe, OG, before he answers his question, we can talk about the potential downsides here. Well, I think that when it comes to investing in your workplace, whether it's, you know, a PE firm, Verizon or Enron, you should kind of keep it to about the same. You know, I, I don't know that I would go above 10% of my investment portfolio, somewhere in that neighborhood worth of exposure to your company, because you, th- you got to think of it this way. Everything you have is tied up in that organization. So, your ability to continue on that path toward financial independence is reliant on the fact that you get a paycheck every Friday. So that's the largest risk exposure that you have, you know? And so if the company goes sideways in a hurry, it's likely that your income stream goes sideways in a hurry. So you don't want to die too much of your investment net worth up into the company by the other side of the coin. If it does really well, that's a multiplier effect. You know what I mean? That that's like, you're earning money and your company's doing well and you're getting bonused in stock and you're, you know, owning company and that's all great. And then it just, you know, goes like gangbusters. But I think for every one of those stories, there's probably two of the other stories that are like, and then I ended up with nothing uh, out of that uh, portion of my portfolio. So, you know, whether you're talking about an offering circular for a PE company or you're talking about an employee stock purchase plan uh, through a publicly traded company, or you're talking about owning company stock within your 401k or companies that match their 401k with company stock. And the question is, how much should I own, you know, with this, or I'm building my retirement portfolio with restricted shares or non-qualified options or whatever, you know, you kind of want to get it down to about 10%. The thing is, sometimes you can't do it. You know, if you're high up in a company, you, the more and more you're tied to the results of that organization, which is also a blessing and a curse. So that's why you'll see, you know, you see these executives, you can go online and read the reports, but pick any company, Pepsi or American Express, whatever. You'll see like, oh my gosh, the guy from American Express, the CEO just sold 33 million of American Express stock. Yeah, because he has 300 million of American Express stock. He's trying to get rid of some. He's trying to like kind of set some aside. So equity options, equity bonuses, equity grants, you know, the option to own the company are all great and uh, can really catapult your financial life in a hurry, but it can also go the other way. So you got to be real careful with it. Yeah. I mean, imagine if you were somebody who was on the inside of Amazon ahead of time or, you know, original shareholders of Microsoft. Everybody thinks about that. But on the other side, in a in any single company, you've already got, to your point, a lot tied up there. So, Well, yeah. So use the Microsoft example. So yeah, you were an original investor in Microsoft or you were a person who got a job in 2003 after a 15-year, you know, uh, 18-year run of Microsoft going straight up. And so you go, I'm going to take all my money and I'm going to put it in Microsoft stock. Well, what did it do for the last 10 years, not including the last 18 months? It's flat. It didn't do anything for 10, 12 years. So you run the risk of that also. Well, I totally agree with the less than 10% and probably even less than five, don't you think? Well, it's just going to always depend. But yeah, yeah, if you're, but hey, if John is all set up with all his other goals, then who cares? Yeah, but you still don't want to like. Sure. No, I'm saying five or 10. Like if he's not set for his goals, I would rein that in closer to five. If he's not, then go crazy. Go to 10. Thanks for the question, John. You got a question for the show? Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail, and you'll be next in line for OG and I to answer your question. That's going to do it for today. A lot of thank yous today 
off the long weekend. What a great way to kick off December with this great topic. We'll let Doug handle all that, but uh, two pieces of housekeeping. Number one, if you're looking for good financial planning help in your corner, OG and his team are taking clients. So head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG, and you'll get on his waiting list. So early in 2020, you'll see what it takes to get he and his team in your corner. And last, big thanks to everybody who's left us a review of this here podcast. This one's on mom's fridge right now. You saw this as we were headed down to the basement, OG. Enjoyable five stars by Josh M07. I think this podcast very entertaining. Enjoy listening. Guests they have on the show are often very interesting. The flow of the show is great. That's it. Nice job. Thanks for that. Thanks to everybody who's uh, told a friend about the show. If you've got somebody who needs help in the healthcare department, today's episode may be a good one to pass on. All right, guys, we'll see you back here next time. Doug, take it from here, man. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take some advice from Scott Heiser. Want lower costs for your medical bills? Ask, what does this cost? And comparison shop. Use your primary care provider instead of urgent care clinics for your runny nose, and maybe you'll start to see the cost of health care begin to drop. Second, Making a character in your video game and investing a lot of money on it? First, don't let your friend near it. But second, yeah, just don't do that. But the big lesson? Turns out, looking at WebMD, I'm fairly certain with all these diseases I definitely have, I'm going to be toes up in about 15 minutes. So wish me luck. Special thanks to Scott Heiser. You can find more from Scott at uncoveredhc.com slash stacking Benjamins or over in the the show notes. I'm not going to make it much longer, Joe. Why are these scripts so long? This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just noticed it's just as dark and damp down here as Joe's soul. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Well, there's a big announcement we couldn't talk about a couple of weeks ago that we're going to talk about now. You ready? You want to say it? Or you want me to say it? Go ahead. You want me to say it? Yeah, sure. Whatever. I'm not going to be here to do your dirty work on this thing. Well, we already, I mean, it was already in the basement. So, well, the number of people in the basement versus the number of people that listen to the show, big difference in numbers, but it's like way more people in the basement. Uh, <laughs> One, one, uh, eighth as many, but OG's launching a new podcast coming in January. Which reminds me, okay, I've got some work to do. You do have some work to do. You've got some questions. We let people in the basement get their questions in first. That's the upside of being part of our Facebook group. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash basement. And that'll get you the link because it's this big, long Facebook group link to get there. But OG, the name of your show is? 
Well, what we're doing is we are, uh, you know, we took the letters out of Stack and Benjamin show because we just kind of ran out of time. And I think there's a good opportunity to answer those questions. So we're just going to answer questions, you know, 15 or 20 minutes or a half hour. I don't know yet. We'll make it up. Yeah. Ask a planner. That's what we're going to call it. Very simple to uh, get your question into. You just go to ask a planner at stackingbenjamins.com. It's going to be very, very easy. Wherever finer podcasts are found. I don't know. It's people say that. I don't even know what that means. What does that mean? Everywhere you listen to podcasts. Oh, I should say everywhere. You'll be listen? able to get it. Well, finer podcasts, which is everywhere. Everywhere finer podcasts are found. Yes. Every finer podcast. Every, Where do you put the finer? Every B finer. Is it, just, is it describing the podcast or describing the location of the podcast? It's describing the podcast in this in this case. Oh, then we're totally using it incorrectly. I really don't have a feeling about <laughs> Stitcher, about whether that's finer. We're totally using using that adjective incorrectly. Well, there's two types of uh, of fine. There's fine and there's fine. 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 No, there's three fines. Fine. Yes. Fine. Yeah, three of them. But uh, coming soon. So ask a planner at stackybenjamins.com. Yes, please. To please ask get your questions in. Your questions. And uh, you can hear OG pontificate on your question over there starting in January. Mm-hmm. Don't know what day yet or the frequency. I'm not going to make the same mistake you did last year about your uh, newsletter. 52 consecutive weeks of episode. Nope, wrong. It's it, every so often. People got them every so often. Yes. Yeah. That's going to be the tempo of the new podcast. The tagline. Yeah. Every so often. That's a great one. When the mood suits me. <laughs> when your questions are worth a damn. Back off. I'm getting to it. Yeah. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life, and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.